Hey, uh, we're talking about celebration days. Celebration days. And I, I shared with you last week about how, um, you know, I said don't invite anybody to Easter. Kind of, I was only half joking. Uh, but what I was saying is, you know, if someone's never been in your home before, they don't know you very well, and they still think you're kind of one of those weird Christians because you only see them, you know, once every couple weeks at work, that's going to be a hard leap. That's like a whole flight of stairs for them. Help them get up to the first step and just have them over for a barbecue. Just have them over for a party. Have them get to know you a little bit. And maybe by next year or by Christmas, they'll want to come to church with you. I'm not saying do that instead of coming to Easter, but I'm saying start between now and then just building relationships. And I mentioned last week that the Bible is filled with not just good ideas for evangelism, but commandments. Jesus, I'm sorry, God the Father back in Leviticus had a list of seven festivals that he required the Jews to celebrate. And all throughout the year, man, they were supposed to get together and feast and celebrate the goodness of God, celebrate the harvest, celebrate the fact that they're forgiven, uh, that the sacrifice has been accepted and God is not going to condemn them all year around. But after a few hundred years, by the time Isaiah was here, um, God spoke through Isaiah and said, I hate your parties. You're just doing it all wrong. You're not thankful anymore. You're bitter. You're mad. You're upset. You don't treat each other well. You're not happy to be with. I don't like your parties anymore. you got to come back to the pure reason to celebrate, and that is because God is good. I've been good to you, and I want you to enjoy the, the fruit of your labors, the fruit of the land. I want you to eat, drink, and be merry, not as if that is an end in itself, but because of my goodness and my faithfulness to you. And so that was Isaiah, about 700 B.C., and then Jesus comes along. The very first miracle that he performs is at what? A, a wedding, yeah. He has a big party. He joins a party, and his disciples were invited as well, and um, he makes the party better. So I, I just hear a really clear message from God to say, um, 2019 Christians, you and I, this century, we need to not be so serious about our lives that we're always just negative and, you know, push in harder, make more money, work harder, and get the raise, whatever it is. But we need to stop on a regular basis and celebrate the goodness of God and then invite people around us. Because Israel failed to be an influence to the nations around it. Their job was to be a light on the hill. That's why Jesus, when he finally said, he reminded the disciples, you're to be a city set on a hill, a bright light, to draw all nations to their maker. And so this morning, I want to just take that to another level, to, to the next step, and, and see what happened when Jesus lived his life for three years on earth and died and rose again, and what happened when the Holy Spirit came, uh, what happened to the people that were followers of his, what were they like? And the best place that I found is in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and through 47, and um, you have to remember, this is written by a gentleman named Luke, the same author of the Gospel of Luke, and um, Luke, as you know, was a doctor a little bit of an historian, a researcher, and much of his gospel, probably most of it, was a summary of what other people told him. And by the time he continues the story in the book of Acts, he continues his summary of what other people told him. And then about halfway through Acts, you find Luke 
changing his terminology. He stops using the pronoun they, meaning the disciples, and he starts saying we, because he began traveling with Paul for the last part of Paul's missionary journeys. So I want you to understand that this first part of Acts is a summary from other people's report. So it's just kind of like an overarching generic description. He wasn't there. I don't know if he was a believer early on or if he was just kind of outside the circle of the disciples, but he wasn't there. He's reporting what other people told him. And so here's how he described life as part of the church. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, if you thought that was like an eyewitness account of, okay, it's Tuesday, they're back at it again. Oh, now it's Wednesday, they're doing it again. Oh, there's another miracle today. That's not what it is. It's a summary. Whenever you see statements like, all of them, every day, all the time, this is all they did, that's a summary. It's a generality. So he's just kind of saying, here was the, the tenor of this group. This is like kind of the, the culture they had built. This is sort of like the atmosphere that you would experience when you go in. But it wasn't necessarily a scheduled event. So I say that because that's the atmosphere we want to have and be, wouldn't you say, as believers, in your home? Mother and father, uh, sons and daughters, sister and brother, at work, wherever you gather with other Christians, shouldn't there just at least be a smile on your face? Like you're a fun person to be with? So what I hear the Lord saying is when we look at this description, he's kind of saying, look, in general, adopt a lifestyle like this, where all of these elements are just kind of regularly circulating through your life. Don't put it into a schedule. Don't turn it into a liturgy or a, a regimen. Just be this kind of person. And so I will kind of list a few of those. He says, first of all, devote yourself to what Jesus has done and is still doing. He said, devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. So what did they teach? They said, here's what Jesus did. Here's what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus told us to do. Over and over, just repeating everything they could remember about Jesus that he had done. And they said, just literally uh, keep that in your diet on a regular basis. Be under the teaching of the Bible. And since everything Jesus did that matters is in here, we got easy access to it. So first and foremost, don't party for party's sake. Party because of what Jesus has done and what Jesus has said. Um, you know that everybody devotes themselves to something. The question is, um, are you devoted to Oprah Winfrey? Are you devoted to the Fox News Channel? Are you devoted to Instagram, Facebook, Twitter? Are you really ultimately devoted to Jesus? That's the one we want to be devoted to. So th this whole idea of um, celebration days has to be rooted and grounded in the fact that Jesus is the reason for it all. But he's not a boring God, and he's not a bitter God. He's a fun God. Are there serious moments? Of course. We have enough of those to take care of themselves. But we want to be people who smile. So when people are around us, they go, 
haven't smiled for a long, long time. You know, the source that you count on for your everyday life will shape you, and um, it's really important for us to take in all of the things around us. There's a lot of important news to be aware of, a lot of bad things happening around the world. There are a lot of bad things happening right here in our church family and difficult, challenging things. Um, but it's really critical that you not be driven by the circumstances, like I shared a little bit earlier, but by the truth of God's word. You know, some people, well, politics. I don't know if you're into politics, but politics is a pretty hot topic nowadays. Ever since we had a different president who acts differently than previous presidents, it's like, ah, everybody's, ah, everybody's got an opinion about politics now. And, and uh, I just have to say it's important for us as believers, if we're going to be followers of the apostles teaching the Bible, when it comes to politics, let's not be party-driven. Let's be principle-driven. Like what principles is that person espousing? I don't care what their name is or what their personality is like. I don't care if I like them or not. What principles are they espousing? And do they agree with this? I want to be a follower of the, the apostles' teaching. If they don't, well, I, I'm not really on your side. I, and I, don't, I like you as a person or I hate you as a person. That's not the point. I want to be principle-driven, not party-driven, not politic-driven, but principle-driven. So we as people have to be careful when we're around those who have strong opinions and don't mind sharing them in all the wrong places at all the wrong times. We've got to be careful not to fall into the trap of now, now we have a conflict. I disagree with you. But rather start using terminology that says, I'm actually principle-driven. I don't care who the person's name is. I, I'm led by what Jesus says. This works in a universe that I invented. This doesn't work in this universe. I would recommend you try my way because success is bound to occur, guaranteed, regardless of the person espousing that. The second thing that Luke tells us about these disciples is uh, they were to devote themselves to Christian fellowship and meals with everyone else. I, I just, I, I read this for years, and I go, that's just so lame. Food and hanging out, how, how can that help? You know, because I, I don't know, I was sort of like a, I was raised by wolves, you know, and I didn't need much. I didn't care for much. I didn't want much. I could live on water and crackers as a kid and didn't have much, and so I figured, how hard can this be? You guys are always like all, when we first got married and had people to our house, Pam would decorate for the party. I'm going, that's such a waste of time, you know. <laughs> my opinion, it's not a waste of time. It's awesome, and I love it now. But that just wasn't my nature. So it took me a long time to understand the importance of food and hanging out. It doesn't all have to be like, I was ready to be John the Baptist. Give me a camel skin coat and some locust, man, and I'm ready. Let's go change the world. So we have to understand that there's something spiritually, kingdomly valuable about breaking bread together. And it could be pizza, it could be hot dogs, it could be burgers, it could be filet mignon. It's food and fellowship. And fellowship isn't always around the Bible study. It's just doing life together and being joy-filled, happy, sincere, good people. We had a party last uh, Sunday, right after church. I, remember I, I said to invite them to your house for a party? Well, we went home to one of the biggest parties we've had all year because we're having a new grandchild. So we had a baby shower and had 24 of our closest relatives, that <laughs> wasn't quite all of them, in our house. And um, it was awesome. 
unbelievably awesome. Because inevitably, when you're hanging out with, with Christians who are genuine, authentic people, whether the topic is Jesus or church or the Bible or not, something's going to come up where you just have a comment and you have a question and you have an observation and you, you have a little debate or something, but it's all pleasant and friendly. And those who don't yet know their Savior are just going to listen in on that and watch how you handle it. Are you going to start boxing with each other, start fighting and start tearing each other apart? Are you just going to learn to disagree agreeably and, and be pleasant about it? That is a powerful, powerful influence. But if they're not in your home, if they're not in your backyard, they're never going to have that experience. There has to be food. In fact, by the time Paul wrote the book of uh, First and Second Corinthians, uh, they called them love feasts. And the Corinthians weren't doing a great job because they had become divisive and bitter and competitive with one another and, and they were shunning people and keeping people on the outside and the in crowd got to get close together at the center of the table and, and the out people got to stay on the outside and Paul just rebuked them for that. But the fact is they were still having love feasts 60 years later after Christ. So this is not something that uh, was supposed to fade away. I want to encourage you, um, devote yourself to fellowship and food with one another and invite some of your friends who don't yet know your Savior. Pam and I were invited to one of our friends' homes. Uh, they needed some help on their computer, trying to get a computer program to run on their television, you know. They had a smart TV. Mm -mm. That's not a smart TV. It could not figure out what we were asking it to do. In fact, we, we, we even talked to it and it didn't help. So we went the old school way <laughs> and just kind of ran his direct USB and voila, there it's on, you know. So the cool thing was th this whole time Pam and I are in there and I'm sure they're great. They're our great people. I don't know their relationship with God. But um, we were just like trying every button and every plug and every hook and nook and cranny we could figure out. And, and we're just going, Jesus, Jesus, just help. Just out loud, just Jesus, help. Jesus, help. Pam looked at the husband and said, did you pray? I prayed yesterday, Jesus, help, Jesus, help. And suddenly, so he goes back out to work in the yard, and, and, and then he comes back in, and we ask him this question. Again, do you know what to do here? And he literally, literally hit a button, and voila, he's the one that made it work. Okay, so, and, and meanwhile, we first get there, and there's like this bowl of candy right on their table. The garage door is open, just welcoming us, because they, they always come in through the back door. So it's welcome, it's warm, it's open, there's food on the table, and we were praying having a fellowship, doing something really practical. But I have to believe we left a little fragrance of Jesus in such a mundane thing because we're just being authentically who we are. Jesus helped. And, you know, when I pray in those circumstances, I pray bad. I pray goofy. It's totally unchurchy. God, come on. Like <laughs> that kind of stuff. So I have to believe it still helped. Luke also says, expect God to give you favor with your friends and your neighbors. What's cool about several phrases in this summary that Luke gives us is he uses a lot of present participles. Who's an English major and knows what that is? Yeah, present participle, it means it's a verb that's had this I-N-G added to it so that it's continuously ongoing action. So that's why I, I said this is a summary they were enjoying, they were praising, they were giving, they were praying, they were fellowshipping, on and on and on and on. It was a continuous thing. And they anticipated that just by having this kind of lifestyle thing going on, people would look in and go, I like that. They were given favor. 
That was just an outcome. It was an outcome that they didn't necessarily force or manufacture. It was something that God just did himself. God gives us favor when we're living these kind of lives together, even through the hardest times together and struggling through things and maybe even in conflict, but doing it so well and so beautifully that people go, man, man, how do you do that? I want some of what you have. Uh, There is a verse I love at the early stages of Jesus' life. Remember when um, it says that he would go to the temple often as a 12-year-old boy, and he would ask questions and kind of have some banter with the uh, leaders of the temple, and uh, they were amazed at what he understood and all of that. And at the summary of of that story in Luke chapter 2, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Yeah, he wasn't just all religious, like, woohoo, look at me, God. I know nobody can stand me, but are I wonderful? It's really critical that if people like being with you, there's probably some really good things happening between you and the Lord. If people have a tough time being with you and they don't want to come back, or they just have other things to do all the time, probably need a little work in that area. If we're right with God, we should have favor with our fellow man as well. Not everybody. There's going to be some, you know, dumb people who don't like wonderful people like you. But, <laughs> but most people should kind of go, yeah, I really enjoy your presence. Make plans to be with people. And then plan some of your conversations, too. Um, if your go-to comment whenever something happens on the news is to tear it apart, <laughs> I didn't vote for them. If that's kind of your go-to, because some people are just sort of like that. The first comment is negative. It's just tear something down and, you know, I disagree. If that's your go-to, just acknowledge that and start practicing a new go-to when you have other people in the room. I mean, if that's where you and your spouse go every time or you and your buddy or your girlfriend go to because you like just doing that stuff, sure, it's sport. There's kind of something fun. But when you're with people who don't know you very well, start practicing things to say like, yeah, aren't you glad? Let's say it's a political comment. Aren't you glad Jesus is coming back? Whew, baby. Something intentional like that so that you can continue to grow in favor with other people. All right, there's a fourth thing that Luke says. Trust God that those who hang out with you are in the process of being saved. This is the final present participle that Luke uses, this ongoing, continuous action. What I find interesting is I, I read that first, and I thought it was all kind of like eyewitness, like every single day, check, another salvation. Oh, Tuesday, check, another salvation. No, I think it's just the generality. The Lord was adding daily those who were being saved. If you're being saved, what does that suggest? It's a process. Not those who came to the altar, boom, done, deal. No, they were in the process of having these relationships with the followers of Christ, and they were enjoying their time together and just being more and more magnetically attracted to their presence. And at some point along the way, they took a step across the line and says, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm no longer just mine. I'm yours. That's a, that's a hard thing for some of us Westerners to get a hold on because we've broken down the gospel to such a linear four-step process that uh, we, we have a hard time with slow journeys, you know. But we got to get better at that. 
Jesus says they were being saved. They were in process as they were in fellowship, as they were eating together, breaking bread together with the disciples. It can take years, and um, the word saturation has been coming to my mind lately. I, I, want, I want to be a person who saturates everybody I know in the presence of Christ. I, just everybody around me, some little ways for those who I don't know very well, some big ways for those who know better. But I've got to have some, I'll call them unsaved. I hate that term because it sounds like an us and them sort of thing. But I, I've got to have some people who are not yet acquainted with my Savior in order to have influence. I want to saturate them with his goodness and his kindness. Anybody ever make pickles? Pickles? Yeah, where do they come from? Cucumbers. And whether they're sweet or dill. Do cucumbers grow on the vine sweet or dill? No. How do they get that way? Saturation. Yeah, you just dunk them and leave them. That's exactly what we want the people in our lives to experience. Just dunk them and leave them. And let God, see it says God added daily. God did the work. We weren't just driving it home, you know, beating them over the head with my Bible every day of the, of the year. I want to close with this. The uh, things that we're doing here at RCC are really fun because we've kind of gotten loosened up a little bit, so we're starting to have parties almost every month. You know, we're having trivia night, karaoke night, Bingo night is coming, and got a fourth one. I forgot what it was. Barbecues, movie night. Yeah, we're going to have a barbecue this summer. And we're just trying to get people to just show up. But the Bible says here in Luke, in Acts, they met together in the temple courts and in their homes. They did both. They did it all. So I really want to encourage you to be serious about inviting people into your circle of influence around your home, around your job, outside of this building. But I also want you to feel confident and courageous to invite them here and trust that I'm not going to blow them out of the water by being an idiot kind of Christian, you know? I'll be average and normal, like I think I'm being right now. Am I okay right now? Authentic-ish? Okay, good. My daughter says thumbs up. Well, <laughs> I, you owe it to me. That's why. <laughs> but it takes a step. A step of faith, a step of courage for us to say, I really believe that Jesus in this group of average people can really have a positive impact on my buddy over here, my girlfriend over there, or the kids who live down the street. Eugene Peterson calls the church a subversive movement. You know what subversive means? It's behind the scenes, kind of secret, undercover. You kind of don't even know what's going on. It's hidden. It's sort of like when you and I have an agenda to really attract somebody to our Lord and our Savior, uh, we just don't make that agenda super obvious. We're just being ourselves and letting, letting stuff happen. How many of you are watching the Final Four? Basketball. I'm not as interested now that Gonzaga's out, but um, one of the best phrases that Mark Few um, has ever shared with his team is, uh, when you start trying to make the game go the way you want it to, you've got to stop that. And there's a phrase, he says, you've got to let the ball come to you. You've got to let the ball come to you. And then in that moment, you just shoot. But don't try to drive through the, where there's no hole. Don't try to get past this 12-foot man. Let the ball come to you. And that's the same thing with our spirituality. Just do life. Keep Jesus in the center. Keep your brain wrapped around this word. And, and have some fun in everything you can do. And let, let God do his work and see what happens. But I do want to encourage you. Come to our parties here. Have some parties at home. And uh, if somebody wants to come with you here on Easter, I'll make sure they hear about how they can become an eternal follower of his.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the chance to celebrate you. Thank you that Easter does change everything, Lord, and the place we want you to start is with us. Help us to be the kind of people that are just really, really pliable in your hands, really useful to you, healed and encouraged in our own world and our own needs being met. But Lord, in the, at the end of the day, we don't want to just be happy people who go to heaven. We want to be happy people who bring a whole bunch of people with us. That's our ultimate passion and desire, Lord. So help us. Do the work in us, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Come back again next Sunday. Uh, Pastor Kevin and his team will be in New York City for an entire week. They get home on Saturday, and uh, they'll be sharing their stories here, so you don't want to miss that. It'll be very cool. All right, see you then.